Well, this weekend sessions, we are going to be talking about how to abide in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, in such a way that four things we're going to talk about. How to overcome sin in our life, how to engage effectively with others in sharing the gospel, how to learn the blessings that come when we abide in surrender, and then what to expect when we abide in Him as we serve others. Because I am sure that most of you serve in some capacity um, to the people around you. And so we will not be able to obviously comprehensively learn about the Holy Spirit this weekend. But I hope that it will open your eyes to more of His personal um, role in each of our lives as we journey together this weekend. And so let me just pray for us. And then we're going to talk about what I call the one requirement. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we get to spend this weekend together with you and with the body of Christ. Thank you that you have given us your word that we can open up and we know it is living and active. We thank you for the Holy Spirit you have given inside of us that convicts us but also comforts us. Thank you so much that you've given us this body of Christ so that we can grow in community and become more like you. And so we just ask for you to lead this time, for you to speak through me, and for you to be glorified as we gather together this weekend. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, our theme verse this week is found in 1 John 3:24, and it says this, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know, we know that he abides in us by the spirit with which he has given us. At first, when you read this verse, it can seem daunting or overwhelming if you think about it. There are certainly a lot of commands in the Bible, and I it's hard to know them, let alone obey all of them, even if you've been a follower of Jesus your whole life. So how can we be certain that Christ is in us? How can I be certain that I'm abiding in him? Well, this verse is actually meant to be a comfort to us, not to be something that's daunting or overwhelming, that we can know for certain that we are abiding with Christ. How? How? By the Spirit whom He has given us. This means we must be able to discern the Spirit's voice and His guidance in our life. If you've never heard His voice, if you've never experienced His guidance, you may not be truly abiding in Christ. So here's what I'd like to propose to you tonight. What if the Bible only had one requirement? and not a million rules. Not, even if we just thought of all the Ten Commandments, what if there was only one? What might God want that one commandment to be? Well, as I've talked to people and, and thought about this a lot and prayed a lot about this, I would just propose to you to look at Ephesians 5, 17 and 18 to come to this one requirement. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't we all want to know what the will of the Lord is? It says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I have come to experience that when we follow the Holy Spirit's lead in our life, we walk away from temptation and we say no to sin. We take steps of faith 
and we have courage where once there was fear. We're able to forgive and pursue restoration with others. We're able to speak truth, but with love. We're able to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Think how hard these nine things are to live out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's hard. We're able to bring Jesus into our spiritual conversations with others when we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're able to share verses that touch the souls of men. We pray prayers that heal and encourage. We bless others in ways that we had no idea would bless them. When we are filled with the Spirit, we become more like Jesus and share him with others. So my proposal to you is, isn't that everything, every command ultimately fit in those two things to become like Jesus, to make him known? That's what the Holy Spirit does when he empowers us and fills us. No matter where you are at in your walk with the Lord, you can see the Lord work in your life and through your life as you respond to his voice. If you learn how to live this out day by day, moment by moment, you're going to see him work powerfully in and through your life. It is not a mundane life to live. And that is when you know you're abiding. You're really, really abiding. So I ask myself kind of one question over and over again every day. I say, am I doing this in the power of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit? Now, I know that's kind of corny. You know, my parents gave me one extra L in there. But hey, it helps me think about, am I doing this in my own power, in my own strength, in my own wisdom, or am I doing this act or saying this thing or living this out in the power of the Spirit? Your name might not sound as cool in that sentence, but it still is good, right? Are you walking in the Spirit's power or in your own power? If we want to see the Spirit work through us, we first must allow Him to work in us. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How does the Holy Spirit work in us? And how does the Holy Spirit help us purge sin out of our lives. I honestly think too many followers of Jesus or people that claim to be Christians live self-defeated lives, unfruitful lives, because they don't know how to get up and change these things in their life. And really it's because they can't on their own. Too many people just say, stop sinning, stop sinning. Well, that is not the answer. And I saw this with my friend, Shannon. I want to share with you her story. She gave me permission to share it with you. Shannon was a believer, but she struggled with alcohol. And after she admitted needing help, she went to counseling and Christian rehab. And over time, she celebrated years of being sober. And it seemed as if her life was getting back on track. I decided to send her a personal Facebook message to just hear how she was doing. And her reply reminded me how quickly we can become engulfed in our sinful ways. It could just happen. Where were you last month? Where are you now? And even though we might see some victory in our life, even when we know what the Bible says about sin, many of us have been in the church for decades. When we don't know how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, our fleshly desires can overwhelm us and we just give in. We give in to that anger, we give in to that conversation, we give in to that gossip, we give in. Now, the story of, of this girl is different probably than your story because she's about 24 years old. 
but I still want to share it. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what can I relate to when it comes to her story? And here is how she responded to me. She goes, Dear Holly, how am I? Young and foolish about sums it up. Guess she doesn't know Ephesians 5, huh? She says, I think that will be the official title of this year of my life. Honestly, Holly, my life is leaps and bounds better than when I was drinking, but it's still awfully messy. I'm in a relationship with our love, with a man who I love, knowing full well that it's a far cry from God's best for me. Two good reasons for that. He's ardently agnostic and our relationship is sexual. I'm 26 years old now and I feel like I still haven't nearly figured out how to be an adult who has a real job, a decent place to live, and who walks humbly with her God. So please pray, and then she wrote gulp, that God would convict me about this relationship because I can't even bring myself to pray that yet. To be brutally honest, I just like sex way too much to ask God to help me even want to give that up. Thank you, Holly. I know your prayers are powerful. Shannon. My heart broke when I read her words. This girl used to be in our ministry with crew, leading Bible studies, discipling women, walking with Jesus, and then she left a community of believers that held her accountable, that helped her be in the Word of God. And one slip after another slip, and now she's stuck in something she doesn't know or even know if she wants to get out of. It's not like she didn't know what was God's best for her. It's not like we in this room don't know what God's best for us is. We might know the word of God, but somehow it's not transforming us. I wrote her back and I talked to her about how I can pray for her, but, but she has to be the one that wants the change. She has to be the one to ask the Holy Spirit to change her life. And here was her reply. As for me, I don't have just one word to describe how I'm doing. How about a beautiful mess? Still with Ted, the guy I told you about, and sigh quite in love with a guy who doesn't know the Lord, who I'm still in a sexual relationship with, and how the bleep, she wrote bleep, that's really nice of her, how the bleep did that happen, you ask me? It beats the bleep out of me. If I would have known in college that this is where I would be when I was 27, I never would have believed it. I would have told you that I love the Lord way too much to let something like this happen. I also would have told you that I love the Lord too much to become an alcoholic. And yet, well, since the end of college, I seem to have stumbled through one monstrous sin after another. Now here's the part maybe you can relate to. I think one of the hardest parts is that it's so difficult for me to still believe that God's grace extends even to me, even to my sins, that I can't out-sin it. I would tell someone else that in a heartbeat. But when it comes to believing that truth in my own life, I fall short. So, listen to her. She understands what's happening in her relationship with God. So I talk to God less because I don't believe he really wants to hear from me. And my life becomes more and more imbalanced and cold. And I cling to the things of this world for warmth. Don't we do that? the comforts of this world, like a relationship that I'm pretty bleeping sure isn't God's best for me, but it's so big in my life right now because I've made God so small. Once again, you'd think I'd learn that lesson through alcoholism, right? Apparently not. My head really is that hard. Anyways, all that to say, I love your prayers. I love hearing truth from you, even when it's hard. Shannon. 
I appreciate that Shannon is so open, honest, and vulnerable with me. That's this younger generation for sure. But unfortunately, just being open, honest, and vulnerable is not what transforms our lives with the sins that we are experiencing in our life. It's a good first step, but it's not the step. To see habitual sin purged out of our life, maybe it's worry. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. I don't know what the thing is that you go to. But oftentimes, it's because we may not have a right view of God. He is merciful and just. He is sovereign and in control. Or we don't have a right view of ourselves. We are sinners, but we are saved by grace. We must not just admit we've sinned, but we need to ask the Lord to grow our sensitivity to sin. Now, I'm almost 40. I turn 40 next month. But I have already seen, especially being in vocational ministry, I actually become less sensitive to my sin. You become like an expert at ministry. And I have to ask the Lord. I have to be intentional. Search my heart. See where there is sin in my life. And we might need to do that. We might need to stop and say, I don't know. Where is the sin in my life? What does the Holy Spirit need to convict me of? When we come to a point of remorse over our sin, not just guilt, which is what she was dealing with, then we're ready to ask the Spirit to come and change us. And so tonight, I want to share with you seven questions that will help you on this journey to have true freedom from sin. And these are actually simple yes or no questions but they're very hard to say yes to. And honestly, I, I didn't want you to feel like, oh, this first talk is kind of really challenging and it's not very exciting and uplifting, but I feel like we need to start with the reality to know where we are going. So we're gonna be in Galatians chapter five, and I'm gonna start in verse one. It says here, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We are meant to have freedom after we decide to follow Jesus. Unfortunately, many people still feel like they're in bondage to sin. The same sins maybe before they decided to follow Jesus. And it's because they're trying to walk with Jesus in their own strength and their own power and not the power of the Spirit, the living God that Jesus has given us once we decide to put our faith in Him. So the first question you want to ask yourself when you think of freedom from anxiety or stress or worry or things like that, do you desire to live in freedom? Do you want to live in freedom from that thing? If you're like my friend Shannon, you might not be in a place where you want freedom from that sin. Maybe it's a sin you actually kind of enjoy, like materialism and overspending past what you can afford. Maybe those kind of things are bringing you so much temporal happiness that you're not willing to, to really hear the Holy Spirit convict you of those things. If you're unable to say yes to this question right now, be honest with the Lord. That's what He wants, just your honesty. Admit that you enjoy your sin and are having a hard time giving it up. Ask Him to give you the desire to be free from it and to want to stand firm by the power of the Spirit He provides. Your heart must be in a place where you want to live in freedom for the Spirit to work in you. Second, Galatians 5.5 5 says, For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We know we will not be perfect on this side of heaven. 
None of us will. The person next to you will not be perfect on this side of heaven. Even though we are waiting to be perfectly righteous in heaven, we can become more perfect on this side of heaven. We can become more and more like Jesus as we abide in him by his spirit. So the second question is, do you actually want to become more like Jesus? Or are you just complacent with your life? You're just fine how you are. People sometimes don't want to become more like Jesus. They're just happy to live their life because it's comfortable right now. And so if that's you, if you don't want to become more like Jesus on this side of heaven, again, be honest with the Lord about your state of complacency. And I think about Revelation 3, which mentions the church in Laodicea. and says that their relationship with God was not hot or cold, but lukewarm. And this is what he said. He will spit them out of his mouth. In fact, in verse 17, which I think we can relate to, it says, For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Do we grasp our need, our nakedness, our blindness, our poorness? Ask the Lord to reveal to you if you're complacent in areas of your life where you know there's sin or laziness. Ask him to grow your desire to become more passionate in your walk with him. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is interesting because part of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit is to get our eyes off of ourselves. We're so ethnocentric. We think about ourselves all the time. And we need to have a focus on caring and ministering to others. When we do that, when we begin to love and serve others in the power of the Spirit, our flesh is no longer the focus. Our temptation is no longer the focus. And we experience actually more joy and fulfillment. So the third question is, are you willing to start focusing on others and not your worry and not your, your anxiety and not your stress and not your finances, but to focus on others? And this is a hard question to answer. And if you're not able to say yes to this, then I would say repent of selfishness, of complacency, and ask the Spirit to give you an awareness. What are the needs of the people here? There are so many needs of the women in this room. Are you willing to get to know them this weekend to find out what they are? Or is this weekend just about yourself? Fourth question, found in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing you want to do. Do you feel that battle? I am aware of that battle every day. Am I gonna yell at my son or am I gonna be gentle even in discipline? Am I gonna give grace or am I gonna give judgment? And this is what it is. We allow the external to affect the internal. Instead of the internal, the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the reality of us and who God is to affect the external. That is what we do. We allow the external to affect the internal. We are controlled by our circumstances and the people around us, what they do and say, rather than the spirit that is within us. 
The Spirit is what makes us strong. The Spirit is what makes us respond appropriately and correctly in times when the external is going just crazy around us. So the fourth question is, do you want to conquer the flesh when you're tempted? Temptation is never going to go away. Temptation is not the sin. It's giving in to the temptation. You're not weak because you're tempted. Satan, I mean, Jesus, excuse me, was tempted but without sin. So do not feel terrible about yourself when you're tempted. That is normal. And even perfect Jesus was tempted. But do we want to conquer the flesh when we're tempted? Here's how you can look at temptation. When you are tempted and you say no, you're taking a step toward holiness and building your character on this side of heaven. And when you're tempted and you give in, you're taking steps towards your destruction and it's affecting the people around you. There's no promise that one day we will no longer desire our flesh, but we do not have to live in defeat. So if you want to conquer this flesh, whatever that is that tempts you, ask the Spirit to give you his power to say no to the temptations around you. Jesus said to his disciples, pray so that you won't be tempted. He didn't say pray because you're in the moment of temptation. Pray now. Be proactive in praying against temptation. Question five is found in Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is what my friend Shannon didn't grasp. She didn't understand that God's grace was for her because she was no longer under the law. She still felt like she should be held under the law due to her sin, which would lead to condemnation. Overwhelmed by shame, she wouldn't turn to God to be led by the Spirit out of sin. We cannot let shame overwhelm us or control us. Romans says, now, not in the future, but now there is no condemnation, none at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. We cannot be condemned even when we sin as Christians because Christ's righteousness has covered us and we are seen as completely perfect before God the Father. When we truly grasp this, we can humbly receive God's grace. That's how you receive it. And you ask then for his spirit to fill you so you can abide intimately in him. So the fifth question, are you willing to receive God's forgiveness and grace for your past and embrace what he has for your future as you follow him? No regrets. No regrets. Question six, Galatians 5, 9, 19 and 20. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Honestly, it saddens me to think how many people claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and yet they still habitually struggle with pornography, gossip, critical spirits, bitterness, image management, not respecting authority, overspending, and things like these. That's not a life that's abiding. At some point, we must ask the sixth question. Do you want the Holy Spirit to transform your life? Maybe if you're honest like my friend Shannon, you don't right now. But if there's no conviction of these things, Paul warns us in Galatians 5.21. He says, I warn you as I've warned you before. So he's saying this twice, that those who do such things 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. This verse might sound extreme, and I think people are hesitant to teach on this verse. But if we continue to walk in the flesh, and we are not willing to be convicted, and we're not really desiring to be changed, and we're not listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, how can we say we're true followers of Jesus? We can't say we love him. We can't say we're obeying him. We might know about Jesus. We might even say we believe in him, but the Bible says that the demons believe in Jesus and shudder. This is the key. Just knowing about Jesus and saying he is true does not transform your life. It does not make you a Christian. It does not make you a true follower of Jesus. If we want to live a victorious life, then we must walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't abide in Christ. We, can't, we, do not, we are not one with Christ. We just know about him without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't overcome these addictions in our lives. The seventh question is, do you want to experience your true purpose in life? Our purpose is to glorify the Father, and we do that by bearing fruit. John 15, 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. We prove we are followers of Jesus by bearing fruit. What is that fruit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, which I said at the beginning, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you lived out all nine of those qualities every day with everyone? Seriously. Would your life change? Would your family's life change? Would your neighborhood change? Would your church change? Yes. And we can do that because we have the Holy Spirit offered to us. So how do we do, how do we bear this fruit? By abiding. John 15, 4 through 5 says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, who is Jesus. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. I can do nothing. You can do nothing, but Jesus can. Galatians 5:24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So as we think about these seven questions, if you said, yes, I want to be in freedom. I want to become more like Jesus. I want to learn how to overcome these things in my life. Then the final question, really kind of an eighth question would be, how do we crucify our fleshly passions and desires? I'm kind of tired of people just saying, stop sinning. It's just not that easy. But it is simple. This is what we say. Jesus, I can't abide. I can't bear fruit on my own, but you can. Give me your power that comes through your spirit so that I can say yes to righteousness and no to the flesh. So I can live out the fruit of the spirit and not the fruit of the flesh. It's inviting the power of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus' Spirit, to empower us as if He is really living in us, because He is. There's a spiritual exercise that we use um, within crew called spiritual breathing. 
and it helps us apply this on a daily basis. First, we exhale our sin by confessing it to the Lord and repenting, wanting our hearts to turn from the, the passion, the desire, or action that's not pleasing to Him. We admit in our own strength we cannot do this. Then we inhale, we exhale the sin, and then we inhale and ask the power of the Spirit to fill us so that with His strength we can say no. Now, theologically, this is what I, I understand the Bible to say about the Holy Spirit. Once you decide to follow Jesus, God of the universe, the Holy Spirit comes in you and you are sealed forever with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he stays in our life, but he is not overpowering our life. He's not commanding our life unless we submit to him. So that's what we're doing. We're saying, you are in me, but I'm still controlling me. I want you to control me because you know better than I. You have more power and wisdom than I do. That is what you are inhaling. You're not asking for more of the Holy Spirit. You're not asking for all of God is being given to you. We just have to empower him in, in what we're in, in our life. So we know because of Luke 11, that when we ask the Spirit to empower us, He will. Let me read to you this beautiful verse, which so many people often take out of context. That's why I'm starting in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Normally we say, so pray for whatever you want, and God will open a door, and God will provide for you. Well, let's look at what God wants to give us when we ask, seek, and knock, okay? He says, if a son asks for bread uh, from any fa father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a, instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask, seek, knock for the empowerment of the God that's already inside of you to change you and to change the lives around you. That's what we're asking, seeking, and knocking for. Any day, any hour, any moment, we just need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us. And here's what happens. Here's the effect when we ask for that. We become dependent on Him and not ourselves. And then we overcome the flesh. And when we overcome the flesh, we actually experience freedom. And when we experience freedom, temptation lessens. And when temptation lessens, we become more like Jesus. We become more holy and more righteous. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. It's how we are supposed to live. What if only one thing mattered? What if the one thing wasn't following all the rules in the Bible, but I'm saying God's will for you? is to be filled with the Spirit. Look how much would change if we just followed that.